Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, and I thank you so much for your, the way that you lead us and guide us. Lord, we pray over this morning, as it is election day, and this is a contentious election. So, Father, I ask that the peace of God would cover this nation, that we would once again have a peaceful transition of power today and over the next few months. Uh, either to stay in, you know, just all, all of the different situations, not just presidential, even if we keep the same president, Lord, there are transition power in the country. And Lord, we ask you that you would cover all of those with grace. Lord, we pray that you would give your people wisdom as they vote. Lord, we pray that you would give them courage to vote the way that your spirit leads them to vote. Lord, I pray that you would help us, oh God, as a nation, to put our hope in you and not in a government to put our hope in your kingdom, which is coming in uh, American empire. Father God, I, I ask you in the name of Jesus to end the division that has so plagued this nation. Bring it to an end, O oh God. Bring us into the unity which was established through Jesus when he offered us his body and his blood. Lord, I pray that we would come to love one another even as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. That wasn't really a prayer for today's thing, but... It was a good prayer, though. Um, I'm like, Dad, leave me alone. I'm trying to teach a class. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hope he's not driving. <laughs> There's another adult, so maybe the other guy's driving. Anyway, okay. So, we are in Matthew chapter 5. Last week we covered, Blessed are they that mourn, which is the second of the, uh, of the Beatitudes. I would like to get some reflection back from y'all about what you're thinking and uh, what's in your head right now in regards to this stuff. Anybody? Thoughts? Questions? Ideas? Really gratifying that you guys have been thinking so deeply about the Sermon on the Mount since we last talked. <laughs> uh, last week you were saying something along the lines of like with like pain and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and how um, if we don't bring it up, like it will get worse. Yeah. And so like I don't know, I put because I was gonna like ask you this question like all places. Okay. Talk to me about that. And because, like, so, um, I don't know how to, like, pass this, but, like, so, like, 
saying like tragic events and stuff that like happen, I think sometimes that it's not necessarily right to like bring it up to like talk about because uh, sometimes like if you talk about it, it can just bring more pain than what was already there. And so mm -hmm. I feel like in some circumstances and cases, then it's okay to, I guess not necessarily like okay to keep it in, but like talk to the Lord about it and then you're like showing. But I don't think you necessarily have to talk to people about it per se. And I felt like last week you were like saying something along the lines of like, yes, go to the Lord, but also like talk to like a person about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so never, you never, ever talk about it, ever, with anybody. In some circumstances. Okay. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Because I, I was just, I was going to I understand that there's definitely moments like, let's, let's talk about specifically the issue of abuse. Okay, because that's one place where I can definitely see there would we would need, for the sake of love, we would need to be careful, mm -hmm. because uh, I would never like you know I would if if somebody has an issue with somebody else I would always say Matthew eighteen go back to the person that you that that hurt you figure this out you know talk to them make things you know yeah. bring some reconciliation, um, in a situation of abuse where there is a person who has, you know, I wouldn't necessarily tell them to go back to that person because just being in that person's presence would be painful and, and difficult, and I don't know that reconciliation would be possible, especially right away, like maybe a long time later. Do they have to forgive them? Yes. That's clear. We have to, for, we, we must forgive. But does that mean that you go back and that you try and build a relationship with that person again? I don't know. I mean, it, it, that's on a case by case. But if we're talking about other things that have happened, I can understand waiting a certain amount of time or processing when you can process. But I don't see, I can't think of a single situation where never talking about it to any other human being would be anything but damaging. Uh, I can understand being in a situation where that's how it feels, like I don't ever want to talk about that again. But the problem with that is that it doesn't go away. Yeah. And the only way to really process that, yes, talk to the Lord for sure, absolutely, probably more than anyone else. But I, I, I would encourage anybody that at some point that you need to have a conversation with a wise and compassionate individual about what's gone on in your heart. We walk in the light. Hiding things. I'm not trying to be insensitive or be like, you know, I, I, I understand yeah. that there's a massive amount of pain. I understand that it's often quite embarrassing. I understand that it's like, but, but I don't have biblical ground to stand on to tell you, yeah, it's okay. You don't ever have to talk to anyone about it. Book of James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And that's not the only place that we talk about stuff like that. Both biblically and psychologically, we need to talk through our stuff. And I understand how scary and how 
embarrassing and how painful that might seem. But I don't think that it's okay to leave things to fester forever. I just don't. That's my opinion. It's between whoever and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I don't think you're not saved if you don't talk about it. But I also don't think that there's, I think there's a level of healing that you'll never experience until you've been able to bring that out in a community setting um, and, and let Jesus have some access to that beyond just your conversation with him. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was just interested to see like your viewpoint on that. So. That's my opinion. You're welcome to have a different opinion than me. Um, you're wrong, but you're what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. I didn't mean it. <laughs> I do that all the time. It's like, you can have an opinion. You'll be wrong, but you can have a different opinion. Um, no, and especially and when we're talking about painful situations, we always have to... We always have to step into the place of empathy. We always have to say, we can't know what it's like to be in that person's shoes. Even if we've gone through something very similar, we're not them. And so there always has to be sensitivity and gentleness. Uh, but But I also think that there are things that are universally true. And one of them is healing comes by bringing things out. By exposing them to the light, by sharing with someone else. Not just anybody. It's not like we're posting everything on Facebook. In fact, good Lord, please don't. But when there is a person who is a trusted, compassionate, wise person who we feel safe with, then we should probably have those conversations with them. That's my, that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else? Thanks. <laughs> I've just seen, I have seen people live with dark secrets for years and it just erodes you from the inside out. Uh, Just from, like, personal experience, when there are things that, like, happened in my life where I was like, I'm never going to tell anybody about this, um, which I had planned on not doing. Right. um, It brought itself out into the light. And, Mm -hmm. like, things drastically changed after that for the better. Sometimes we have no choice. (laughs) Sometimes things just get exposed. (laughs) Uh, But I think like a a hard thing like for me is is just like vulnerability and stuff like that because I feel like if you're like obviously if you're struggling with something and you have to go to, to talk to somebody about it, you have to be vulnerable with that person. And that's something that I'm not the best at at all. Yeah. And so I like keep stuff inside. Sure. And um, so that's that's why I was saying like I guess in like some circumstances it would be okay, but then in reality, like thinking about it now, it's probably not like you should obviously talk to people right. about it. But like I don't know. It was it was just interesting. And be selective. Yeah. 
you know, I'm serious about that. It, not everybody needs to know all your business. It's just reality, okay? Um, because not everybody's going to be careful with it. Yeah. So, how would you uh, like go upon like finding someone you can trust or talk to? Yeah. Like if you wanted to. Well, see, this is the thing about entering into an intentionally vulnerable relationship. Is it doesn't happen by accident. It has. It it happens by choice. Um, it requires intentionality. So. I talk to people all the time about you need mentors. Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs somebody who's a little further down the road than they are that they can have conversations with. But you don't get mentors an accident. That's a conversation that you're going to have to have at some point is, will you be my mentor? Which is the most awkward phrase anybody's ever asked anybody in their lives. And maybe you'll get lucky and somebody will say, I would like to mentor you. But that's pretty rare. Um, if this is something you want, you have to pursue it. Ask, seek, and knock, Jesus says. You know, this is, this is something Jesus is constantly encouraging us to do, is to take action towards the ends that we want to see. And so if you're wanting to have... Now, obviously, there's people that we, as a society, pay to have these kind of conversations with, okay? Counselors, etc. And I would absolutely say, go for that. I think probably everybody needs to go through counseling at some point in their life. Just uh, there's stuff we need to process with someone that's not involved, okay, that doesn't have skin in the game. Uh, I think sometimes pastors can be good people to do that with, but I would be picky about which pastor because some pastors are going to try and pull a power trip on you and ruin the whole thing, and and that's not... I wish I didn't have to make that that caveat it with you guys, but I do. I just have seen it uh, turn out gross too many times. Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, find somebody, at, you know, be, just be on the lookout and ask the Lord, Lord, send somebody into my life that I can have these conversations with. Somebody that's going to understand, somebody that's going to be able to hear me and respond f with compassion and wisdom. Uh, and, and, you know, keep an eye out, and the Lord will bring somebody across your path. And hopefully they will be sensitive and caring enough to say, yes, I, I will do that for you. Okay. It's not an easy conversation because I've had it many times. Yeah. Um, I was talking to one of the, like, my pastors back home. Yeah. And it was, like, kind of, I can't remember if it was before or after we had went to camp, but I had a conversation with him. Like, apparently one of the other leaders, like, had a conversation with him about it, too. And I was just telling him, like, like, I really plan on staying in Fort Wayne after I'm out of school because I just really like it. And I feel like there's, like, a lot of growth that ha has happened here that didn't really happen back home. Sure. And, like, even after, like, when I've gone back home to visit... It just doesn't feel right. Like, I feel kind of uncomfortable there or whatever. And so, like, I don't know. The plan definitely is to work, like, be in ministry. And I was just telling him, like, I don't really feel like I should be in Marion because I feel like I don't really get anything from being there. Mm -hmm. And 
then he like started going on this tangent about how that's selfish. Like you've lived in Marion your whole life, you know that Marion needs yeah. help and this and that. And I was like, yeah. I was like, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Like part of it was truthful, but like right. at the same time, I'm like, he just kind of came at me super reckless, and I was right. like, well, this sucks. Unfortunately, and this is something that I fight with in my own self. Because God's given me a passion for my church and for what God's called me to do, there's definitely a drive in me to want to like hold on to people and be like, no, you're not allowed to go anywhere. I don't care what God's telling you to do. This is, I have poured into you for this long. You don't get to just walk out on me now. I invested in you and now you're leaving. That's not fair, right? That's, do do you see why I might feel that way? Like, because I've tried really hard to do a good job of raising you up. And now you're going to walk out the door when you're just ready to be useful for me. Okay. Is that horrible? Yes, it is. It's horrible. It's a horrible, selfish, selfish, ugly attitude, but I totally get it because I feel that way sometimes too. And I have to stop and I have to say, and this was true, especially when I was a youth pastor, uh, was, uh, these are not my people. These are Jesus's people. And they, they belong to him. I have no claim on these folks. Um, and I have to trust the Lord that, you know, there's this old thing from the Old Testament of cast your bread on the waters and, and it will return to you, right? This is where, where I'm investing in kingdom, a kingdom much bigger than mine, okay? And that kingdom exists everywhere. And if God, the king, wants to take his resources and put them somewhere else, even if it leaves me in the lurch, that is his prerogative. He gets to do that. You don't belong to Marion, and you don't belong to that pastor. You belong to Jesus. And if, you're, if you can honestly look at me and tell me, this is what Jesus is leading me to do, then I have no right to say to you that it's not. None. Now, I can look at you and say, I don't know how wise this is. Or I can look at you and say, I'm worried about this or this or this, whatever that might be. I can also look at you and say, personally, I would really love for you to stay here. But you need to do what Jesus is calling you to do. That needs to be the other side of that. Now, and because I've been given a position of influence in the kingdom, I have to stand before Jesus in regards to how I have used his stuff. Does that make sense? Okay. And so if I bully you into sticking around, when Jesus is calling you to do something else, am I serving the kingdom or am I serving myself? Exactly. And, and so I totally get the impulse. I really do. Uh, but at the same time, it's not okay. It's not. And I can't tell you how many people I've spent years pouring, pouring life and time and energy into that God has just said, okay, they're ready, and then taken them way over here to another state, another city, another church, 
and said, I'm going to put him over there. And I'm like, but Jesus, I spent six years training that kid how to lead worship. And he's finally good. And you take him away, right? Like, or Lord, this isn't fair. <laughs> and, you, and I don't have anybody to replace him either. So Lord, figure this out. It's not okay with me that you're just stealing my people. And the Lord has always said, tough beans, they're mine. And also, on top of that, if I love you, shouldn't I want what's best for you? I would think so. <laughs> There's this thing, this reality about love that we have a difficult time understanding. Uh, and that is that to love someone, they have to be free. We would love to control people, but that is the opposite of what love does. Love doesn't clamp down. Love doesn't control. Love sets people free. And it does so without fear. Okay? So, my wife is free. And she made a promise to me that she was going to be faithful to me. Right? She stood in front of my dad and the congregation and promised to be faithful to me. Now, if I am... Constantly, every day, threatening her. Woman, you walk out on me, and I'm going to beat the living tar out of you. Is she free? No. No, she's not. She's under threat. She's under coercion. Okay? Love doesn't do that. Love washes her feet and says, I love you and I want you to be here, but you're free to do as you please. Now, my wife hasn't left. And I don't think she's going anywhere. But if she decided to go, I do not have any right to threaten her or to, you know, call down the wrath of whatever on her because I am not here to control her. I'm here to set her free and trust that her love for me, out of her love for me, she will choose to serve me as I have served her but I don't get to make that choice for her. And that's what love does. Love serves. Love goes in front. Love's pay, love pays before a service is given. Love, love pours out. Love is outwardly flowing. It is not. And, and, and then it trusts. Because it's what love does. Yeah. It's, it, I could be totally wrong, but it's, it's kind of like um, that story in the Bible, Hosea. Exactly. Yeah, Perfect example. Perfect example. Yeah. Okay? Here's Hosea. He had no reason to trust this woman. And she proved that she was not trustworthy uh, over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And yet, when her unfaithfulness got her caught in slavery, what did he do? He, like, uh, he like cried out to God, was like, I don't want to take her back, but he took her back. Anyway. Right. Not only did he take her back... He paid for her to be freed from slavery so she could come back and be his wife again. Now, you know, I think our culture would have said, I told you not to leave me. Yeah. I told you this would happen. And now you've made your bed, now lie in it. But that's not what love did with Hosea. Yeah. And that's not what love did with you either. 
Jesus gave us beautiful teaching. He taught us what it looked like to be truly human. And when we walk away and get ourselves in trouble, does Jesus say, well, too bad, so sad, should have listened to me the first time? No, Jesus brings grace and forgiveness. That's what Jesus does. And that's what love does. Love sets people free. Love does not control. Our beatitude for today, from Matthew chapter 5, verse... Which verse is it? Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This deals directly with what we're talking about right now. We've been talking about blessed are the meek. You just didn't know it. Okay, because this, that, this word meek, what do you think it means? Afraid. Gentle. But I love that. Afraid, right? Yeah. Because that's the picture we get when we talk about somebody who's meek. Yeah. Somebody who's timid. Somebody who's afraid. Yeah. That's not what the word means. The word means Gentle. In fact, the same word in the Greek is translated meek or gentle in different places depending on where you find it. And some translations translate this as blessed are the gentle. New American Standard, which is what I'm reading from on my computer right now, that's how it's translated, blessed are the gentle. So what does it mean to be gentle? Careful. Careful. That's good. Gentle. Anybody else? When I think of gentle, I think of like holding a baby. Right. Now, are you stronger or weaker than that baby? Uh, I would assume stronger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless it's like Superman, you the are you. You know, you you are stronger than that baby. Right. Could you, could could you, with all your strength, harm that child? Oh, yeah, absolutely, of course. It'd be really easy to do, right? And in an effort not to harm the child, you are gentle, right? Do you have to tell the baby to be gentle with you? No. No. Why? Baby can't harm you. Exactly. You are much stronger than that baby. You don't have to tell the baby to be gentle because that baby can't hurt you. So when, so meek means gentleness. It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean fear. It doesn't mean somebody cowering in the corner sucking on their thumb. That's not meek. Meek is someone who enters a room full of confidence and strength, but who refuses to use that confidence and strength to, to control the people around them. Okay? Meekness is someone who comes into a room fully capable of beating the living tar out of someone, but who refuses to do that in order to get what they're looking for. Okay? Like patience. Well, patience has to do with time, and it requires patience to be meek. It does. Yeah. Because it would be quicker, okay? My, my daughter hates waking up in the morning. And she usually, she is very mean to me in the mornings. She hits, she's 10. She hits me. She, I know, right? Like a three-year-old would make sense. But no, she's 10 years old. She hits me. She kicks me. She, she like yells at me every morning. Okay? It happened this morning. 
and I do everything I can possibly do to remain meek with her. Okay, babe, it's time to get up, blah, 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 blah. Because could I walk in there with a giant bucket of icy water and be like, psh, Rip her out of bed, throw her on the floor, put her, take her pajamas off, put her clothes. Could I do that? Yes. Yeah, I could. I'm much stronger than she is. I could totally do that, right? <laughs> I could totally do that. But is that what I want to do? Is that who I want my daughter to think of me as? No. No, I love my daughter. I want her to make the right choices on her own. And so I attempt to be meek with her as much as I possibly can. I refrain from forcing her to do things because I care about her. Now, also because I care about her, there are times when I force her to do things. But I use the least amount of force possible. And I will say this, my daughter, she is extraordinarily strong-willed. And uh, she deeply resents any use of force to get her to do what, she, what I want her to do. Good morning. No, it's all right. <laughs> she deeply resents any time that I use force to get her to do. And, but if she would just cooperate, I wouldn't have to do that. Okay, we're talking about going, getting up, getting ready for school. She can't just stay in her bed. She has to go to school, right? So there is, a, but I try with all my heart, and I'm not kidding. Almost every morning, this happened again this morning, I was praying as I walked in there, Lord, help me be meek. Because her defiance enrages me. It enrages me. It really does. I get so angry that she won't just get out of bed. This isn't rocket science. You have to get up and go to school, period. And the clock is ticking. And just because you don't want, want to get up right now does not mean that time has slowed down or stood still. You have to move, right? We all know this. She is more than old enough to know this, and yet she makes another choice. She is teaching me meekness better than any of my other kids ever have because she doesn't respond to force anyway. My other kids, if I would yell at them, they would hop to, right? So that's all I had to do. My daughter, if I yell at her, she puts her fingers in her ears and just sits on the floor. Okay, force is, the amount of force I have to use to get her to do anything is so high that I won't do it unless, I, unless like her life is in danger. I mean, truly. Plus, she so deeply resents and, so, and for so long resents my use of force against her that it's like not cool. It's not okay. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now check this out. I actually saw a Nike t-shirt one time that yeah. said, blessed are the meek on the front. And on the back, it said, yeah, right. Nike made that? Yep. What? Why? Because that's not how our society views how... No, it, our society worships strength. Mm -hmm. Our society worships uh, bullies. We elected one, and we may elect him back again. 
I don't care if you agree with his policies or whatever. President Trump is a bully. That's how he gets everything done. He doesn't understand meekness in the slightest, which is why I cannot vote for him. He doesn't understand meekness. That's, this is one of the primary reasons that I can't vote for him. I mean, I get that, but like, what? Who was sitting in Nike's design team? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody thought it was funny to blaspheme. I mean, like, if you're weak, in our world today, if you're weak, if you're weak, you're just a pushover. Exactly. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the way the kingdom comes is meekness. The kingdom comes by meekness. The kingdom comes by self-sacrifice, not self-advancement. Yeah. The kingdom comes by, by respecting the needs of others more than you respect your own needs. The kingdom comes by washing feet, not by stepping on other people to get to the top. And so Jesus is directly, directly opposing the system of this world. Because remember where he lived. He lived in Israel, which was a subjugated state under the least meek empire the world has ever seen. Rome. Rome had covered the earth with an iron blanket by sending people. And if you stood against Rome, they would annihilate you, burn to the ground, which is what happened to Jerusalem only a few years after Jesus was ministering. And Jesus was prophesying towards that end the whole time that he was there, telling them, telling the Jewish people, hey, wake up, you're headed towards destruction, not paying attention. You're walking away from God, you're choosing the way of the world, and you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Jesus said, in the kingdom of heaven, it is gentleness that brings victory. And we begin to think about the gentleness of God. Who's more gentle than God? Nobody. Why? Because God is omnipotent. That means that God has no limit on his strength. God can literally do anything he wants. So if something is happening in the universe that is not something he wants to happen, it is because God is practicing meekness in that moment. These people today really, and people before, before us, they, God, God, it must be a real master of that because like, from what he has seen, I, I don't know how he just didn't snap his fingers and, you know, and it'll be gone. Yeah. Because that's not, that's not who God is. Yeah. God is love. And what did we say about love? Love sets people free. Even when they're making choices that are damaging to themselves, love says, I refuse to control you. Yeah. I have a huge... Now, I used to be a five-point Calvinist. Are you all familiar with Calvinism? Yay, nay? Okay. A little bit. John Calvin was a preacher and theologian who arose... 500 years ago-ish, in the season of the Reformation of the Church, which 
started with Martin Luther nailing his 99 theses to the, to the door and saying the Catholic Church was not cool, right? Um, Calvin was in that vein, and he was a student of Scripture, ardent, powerful student of Scripture. And he began to build a picture of God, specifically of salvation, of a God who controls literally everything all the time. Okay? Including Calvinists believe in what's called double predestination. Okay? Double predestination is the belief that God decides before, that God decided before creation who was going to be saved and who was not. Like who's going to heaven and who's not? Yes. That God made the decision way back then that he decided once and for all who he would give grace to and who he wouldn't. Calvin used multiple... There are scriptures that you could read that would seem to say that. But there's also a bunch of scriptures that you would read that would seem that that's not accurate. Okay, but he built a picture of God as this hyper-controlling tyrant who causes everything to happen exactly the way that he wants it to happen. Now, I am painting Calvin's picture in pretty dark, in pretty dark terms, but that's because I can't put blessed are the meek next to I am in control of everything. Those two things don't make sense to me together. And if Jesus is a perfect revelation of the Father, then one of those two pictures has to go away. That's, my per- that's the way I see it. I was a Calvinist for maybe five years. Okay? I believed in double predestination. And I could have argued it and probably won. Okay? Because I did a deep dive and a ton of research around the issue of Calvinism. Okay, uh, for years, I loved it. But then I got smacked in the face by Jesus. How dare he? Okay, Jesus came along and said, I have perfectly revealed the Father. Go spend some time with the Sermon on the Mount. And so I did. And the Sermon on the Mount thoroughly unraveled my Calvinism. How, uh, how dare God break the box that I had put him in? It's not fair. Jesus thoroughly unraveled my Calvinism. Why? Because Jesus was meek. And he reveals a father who is meek. Ultimately strong, capable of controlling everything that ever happened in the universe, but refusing to do so. Now, God comes along and he... This is, I believe that the God of meekness is more powerful than the God of control. And let me tell you why. Because here is a God who, because of love, steps into and takes on the trillions of terrible choices that humanity has made. And is at work in the midst of them, behind them, around them, and through them 
to work all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That God is able to step into the midst of our worst mistakes and to turn them without, without subverting anyone's will, without being unloving even for a second, and turn all of them so that at the end of the day, he is righteous, he is just, and he has accomplished the thing that he chose to accomplish. And how does God do that? He pays for it himself. That's what forgiveness is. You see, that's the big problem with meekness, is that when we choose meekness, we are choosing to allow people to do things we don't want them to do. Is that not what God did? People ask the questions, if God is really all-powerful and all-good, then why are children murdered? Why are people raped? Why is there diseases that cover the nation? And I say to you, because God's also meek. And God is love. And God is more interested in loving me than he is in controlling me. And that's true of you, too. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? When you said you were a Calvinist there for a little bit, do they have, like, was that, like, your own personal belief, or did they, like, do they have, like, churches, like, Calvinist churches or something like that? Or is that yes. Have you ever heard of churches that are called Reformed? Oh, Reformation. Yeah. The like the Baptist Reformed Church. The Southern Baptist Alliance is a Calvinist church. Are you, have you, are you aware of John Piper? Um, he's no. an author and a preacher. Uh, he's probably the greatest champion of Calvinism in this particular generation. Yeah. He's great. I really love John Piper, but, uh, uh, but uh, yeah. Anyway. So maybe it would be like... Um... Is there, like, when you said it's just, like, reformed versions of, like, denominations, because um, you said Baptist reformed? Most, most all Baptists are. The only, there's Baptists that are called free will Baptist churches that yeah. aren't Calvinist. Yeah. But pretty much all the other ones are. Uh, and there's a lot of other denominations that are Calvinist as well. Mm-hmm. I was a Calvinist in the Assemblies of God. So the Assemblies of God okay. No. Uh, no. Um, the Assemblies of God, the way the Assemblies of God is set up, our 16 fundamental truths don't deal with soteriology. So uh, they, they, don't, they do not require that we be Calvinist or Arminian is the other side of that argument. Um, most AG pastors are Arminians. Okay? They, believe, they, they believe, like I was just talking, that, that, uh, that people have free will to choose. Okay? Um, but not all, not all. And I was a Calvinist in the midst of a Pentecostal denomination, which is rare. But I've never had an issue with being different than the people that are around me. <laughs> um, uh, it's kind of the way I've had to live my entire life. But anyway, 
Um, most most AG pastors are Republicans too, and I'm not. So I'm not a Democrat either, but I'm most definitely not a Republican. Um, I, I, I defy party labels. I will vote for who the Holy Spirit leads me to vote for. End of discussion. Uh, <laughs> besides, I like, I like a lot of Republican ideas, but then I like a lot of Democrat ideas, too. And then I like a lot of Libertarian ideas, too. So just, you know, it just depends on, on which one I think is more important in any given election. So would you say you're a Libertarian? Or? No. I am not a Libertarian. I have some serious issues with some libertarian ideas, and I have some serious issue with some Republican ideas, and I have some serious issues with Democrat ideas. I am a Christian. I am none of those other parties. I am a Christ follower. I have some. I like some Green Party ideas too. I am a Christ follower, and my vote belongs to Jesus. Wherever I see him, the best reflected. That's where I, that's where my vote will go. I'm also not a one one issue voter. You're not going to win my vote by saying you're pro life or pro choice. You're not going to win my vote by saying that you're uh, that that you're going to act on behalf of the environment or not. My vote by by telling people to wear masks or not. You're not going to win my vote by telling me you're going to raise or lower taxes. None of those things are a decision for me. You with me? Yes, yes, I am. Yes, sir. There's a whole lot of folks that I love very much that have a lot of problems with the way that I think about politics, but I am trying to do what Jesus called me to do. Uh, so. I had a conversation with my brother this morning about voting. <laughs> He's like, well, what do you think about this person? What do you think about this? And I have problems with all three candidates. He's like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, I wrote Jesus in. <laughs> That's not what I did, but you know, I, I, I've thought about it. There's a campaign sign in our churchyard that says Jesus 2020. <laughs> Yes. You, uh, we can all agree with that. That's a party I can stand behind. Yeah. What do you think about people writing uh, Kanye in? <laughs> Would you vote for Kanye? I don't know. I have no idea what he stands for. If I was voting for a musician, I wouldn't even vote for Kanye. So, uh, <laughs> even though I like his music, I don't think I, anyway. <sighs> Meekness. Blessed are the meek. Now, how is it that the meek will inherit the earth? That's what Jesus says. Could he be talking about like when the new heavens and the new earth come? I would say that's true, but that's not enough. Whenever, okay, I just want to put this out there, okay? If our answer is ever, that it is ever completely and entirely based on what's going to happen after Jesus comes, then we need to think harder. Okay? Because Jesus wasn't talking, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, Jesus wasn't talking about an afterlife reality. He was talking about here. He was talking about now. 
and the here and now extends after we die, true. That is, yes. But Jesus wasn't preaching about heaven. Jesus was preaching about earth. He was preaching about here. He was preaching about now. So do not take any of Jesus' messages and make them only afterlife messages. Don't do that. Because Jesus literally never is talking about only afterlife. That is a problem that we as the church, we have over-spiritualized the teaching of Jesus. I was taught in Bible school to teach the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus putting righteousness out of human reach so that we would require a Savior. In other words, feel free to ignore the Sermon on the Mount because all Jesus was doing was showing you that there's no way you can ever be righteous. Does that make sense at all? No, the answer is no to that question. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense at all. That's not how Jesus preached. Jesus preached to his congregants in the moment in which they lived, to their situation. Jesus was not an afterlife preacher. Jesus was a this minute, right here kind of guy. So how do the meek inherit the earth? That's very, that's very near to what I'm talking about, okay? okay? How do the meek inherit the earth? They stay alive. You're not standing up. What we're giving up, <laughs> we are giving up control for the sake of love. That's what we're doing. So what are we gaining? Everything except control. For some people, that's never going to be okay. Some people, they would choose control over and over and over and over again. Are you ready for my Harry Potter reference? Yes. Okay. Because this is Voldemort's character. Okay. In the Harry Potter books, the bad guy is Lord Voldemort, who is a guy who has spent his entire life pursuing ultimate control over all things, especially death which is why his followers are called Death Eaters, because they are a people who have defeated death. Okay? And that is what he's all about. He's all about control. He's all about making sure that everyone does exactly what he wants them to do. And the foil, the opposite side, is Dumbledore. Okay? The only, what you have in the Harry Potter world are the two most powerful wizards of the age. Voldemort and Dumbledore, okay? Voldemort is all about control. And Dumbledore is all about empowerment, setting people free, forgiving people, giving them a second chance, helping people to come to their own conclusions about what they need to do or not to, okay? And 
Spoiler alert. Oh, no. Dumbledore dies. But Dumbledore also wins. Okay? Why? Why does he win? Because his goal was never power. He never wanted power. Power was not his end. And as long as power is not a goal for you, it is really easy to win. Just fine. Here you go. I don't need to control you. Now, we have a narrative in this country that the person that's in charge is the winner. We teach our kids to play games like King of the Hill, where you kick and push people down the hill so that you can stay on top. Right? Do we not? I did that as a kid. We talk about people as being large and in charge, so to speak. Right? Don't we? This is our narrative. We worship power. And it's not just the United States of America. It's all over the world. This is what humans do. Humans have been pursuing power relentlessly forever and ever and ever. And Jesus is saying it's a false finish line. It's an idol, and it will destroy you. Stop pursuing it. Give up power, and all of a sudden, the whole world belongs to you. Because now, I get to have a relationship with you. You get to be free, and I get to be free. We get to be friends. I get to keep you. Whereas before, if you wanted to be in control of you, that means that either... That means that you and I are enemies. Does that make sense? At the end of the day, even some of Voldemort's most ardent followers betrayed him because he made them choose between their son and him. And they chose love rather than choosing Voldemort. Why? Because they realized power wasn't worth it, and love was. Does this make sense? Yes. God did the same thing. And he does the same thing over and over again. God has love over power every time. You know, you know how I know? Because the one who created the universe, the one whom hold, who holds all things together by the word of his power, allowed weak little human beings to nail him to a cross and kill him. Jesus was the meek one, and he will inherit the earth. Right? He has inherited the earth. Jesus wasn't kidding. Jesus was being serious. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you because you're good. I thank you because you have filled our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would reveal every place where coercive power would try and cause us. That, that where this longing for control, certainty, 
safety would cause us to act in ways that are unloving. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us all of the places in us where we have colluded with coercive power, where we have chosen control over love. Lord, I repent in Jesus' name of every time that I have chosen coercive power and the allure of control, and I have forfeited love. Your command to me is to love you and to love my neighbor as myself. Forgive me, Lord, and set me free. Set me free from my need for control and release me, O oh God, into the freedom of loving and living life with nothing to hide, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. In the beautiful name of Jesus, amen. That's it for today.